too long didn't listen? Here's what you'll miss. The sex you have during hypersexuality is not necessarily good or satisfying. Hypersexuality is not just about having a lot of sex, it's about the compulsion to have a lot of sex. Lying about hypersexuality is pretty standard. People are often trying to cover it up, and many people are very uncomfortable talking with their doctors about this. Finally, hypersexuality is not just about having sex with others, it can also be about solo sex and masturbation. Intrigued and want to know how we got here? Keep listening. You're listening to Inside Bipolar, a Healthline Media podcast, where we tackle bipolar disorder using real-world examples and the latest research. Hey, everybody. My name is Gabe Howard, and I live with bipolar disorder. And I'm Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. And today we're going to be talking about hypersexuality. I, I feel... I, I feel some ways, Dr. Nicole, like it's like it's dirty in some way. Do, do you find that a lot of your patients feel that way? I think it depends on their upbringing and how they were raised. I have some people who are very, very open talking to me about sex because they see it as a very healthy bodily function. And they say, hey, you're a doctor. Let me tell you what's going on. And then there are those people who are extremely shy and extremely hesitant to talk about it. Hypersexuality has this problem in which people I don't think understand exactly what it is. Hypersexuality is not having a high sex drive. Hypersexuality is not having a lot of sex. In my mind, and this is not a medical definition, we, we got Dr. Cole for that here in a moment. In my mind, hypersexuality is a compulsion. It is a need. You have to do it because if you don't, something bad will happen. It's, it's not about enjoying the act. It's about completing the act. When we tend to think about hypersexuality, we're thinking about these sexual urges. It can be actual intercourse. It can be masturbation. It can be watching a lot of pornography that they just can't control. I think it's the control piece is where we kind of really hone in on when we're talking about hypersexuality. The whole hypersexuality conversation in society is a fascinating one because I experienced hypersexuality. And before I experienced hypersexuality, I, I saw the Hollywood version of it. And I thought, oh, hypersexuality is awesome, right? Because I, I believed that the definition of hypersexuality was just having lots of sex. Yeah, I mean, the context is what's important, right? It's the what leads you to have lots of sex that makes it hypersexuality. There's this idea that because you're having lots of sex, it must be good. It is a lot of sex, but why are we automatically putting the word good in there? You can eat a lot of food and it doesn't mean that it's good food. It doesn't mean that it's food that you like. It doesn't mean that it's quality food and it doesn't mean that you're enjoying the food. Okay. So what you're saying is what I'm understanding is that you, you didn't enjoy it. You were just doing it just to do it. So it, once again, uh, it, nothing is 100%, right? I'm not saying that during bouts of hypersexuality, there was never any good sex in okay. there. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's never 100%. But I personally would say that it ruined 90% of it. Maybe the first time, you know, the, the hypersexuality urges, you know, start to come up and, you know, you know somebody that you're compatible with and you go and you're like, hey, this is nice. All right. But the, the problem is, is for most people, it's like, hey, they have satisfied the urge, the, the urge is complete, and then they can go on with their day. The problem that I would have is, yes, that sex was great. You know, I'm, I'm going to call it phenomenal. And then... That person would leave and I'd have to do it again. Okay, well, maybe I can find phenomenal sex twice in a row. 
three times in a row, but the compulsion never ends. At some point, you're just doing it to do it. You're not even enjoying it anymore. And this is a big thing that I want people to hear. You start taking dangerous risks because partners do in fact dry up. Right. So you start visiting sex workers or you start injuring yourself in some way. And for me, full disclosure, I was married during some of these episodes, which meant I started cheating on my spouse. And and I'm not, I don't want anybody to hear that it's okay that I cheated on my spouse because I had hypersexuality. It's not. But it is a discussion that needs to be had for a lot of people. It is a symptom of bipolar disorder. It's not as clear cut as, ah, he's a cheater, throw, throw him out. It's difficult for everybody. Yeah, I see that a lot. So I've seen tons of couples, whether it's the husband or the wife or, you know, have these hypersexual because their their partner can't keep up. Right. Like you said, they're like an energizer bunny and their partner is like waving a white flag, tapping out. And the person is like, OK, well, if not you, it'll be somebody because I got to get this done. And, and, and that's what that's what happens, which is really sometimes irreparable damage is done. You know, so fortunately, you know, you were able to not have irreparable damage um, be done. Oh, no, we're divorced. The the damage was irreparable. That marriage is over. I I also want to point out, you know, people talk about hypersexuality and they they think of sex. They, They think of sex. See, hypersexuality manifests itself in other ways, too, like chronic masturbation. And it, look, self-stimulation is fantastic. I, I'm, I'm not shaming that at all. But if you're not enjoying it, if you're doing it because it's a compulsion, and if you literally complete the act, you know, g- get up, take a shower, and two minutes later, you're back doing it again. At some point, you have to ask yourself, if this is not fulfilling your sexual urges, why are you doing it? And that to me is where the conversation around hypersexuality really takes a turn. If it is not meeting your sexual urges, why are you doing it? But during mania, I mean, are you thinking that about anything? I mean, when you're when you're in a manic state, are you thinking, oh, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on lip gloss? Why am I doing this? It doesn't make good. I mean, I mean, isn't that part of the whole like doing it, but not thinking about the consequences of it? There are there are so many things about bipolar disorder that I think that people don't consider. And it, one of them is, as you illustrated in the way that we talk, I'm talking about it like it happened in the moment, right? Like I, I'm on masturbation session number 10 and I'm thinking, oh, this is bad. No, 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 no. I'm not thinking that until a week later when I reflect back and I think, what what the hell was going? Why did I skip work for a day? Because think about this for a moment. See, 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 these are the, this is the compound thing that I don't think that people think about in order to sit at home all day and masturbate. It means you're not doing anything else. What did you miss? Did, did you, did you miss a promise to your parents? Did you miss a promise to your spouse? Did you miss work? What was going on there? And then when these people are upset, Gabe, where were you? You know the answer. The answer is in your head. How do you look at your mom and tell her that you missed that family function because you stayed at home masturbating and then shame starts to creep in first of all let's not tell mom that that's why you missed it like i i think this exactly. is, i think this is one of those times we can probably come up with some other response as to why but i don't ever want my kid telling me hey i missed this family event because i was <laughs> masturbating all day I don't, I don't want that so 
So Dr. Nicole, first off, I agree with you and I want everybody to know, lie to my mother. I, 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 honesty is important in this show. I straight up lied to her because I wasn't telling her. But 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 here's the thing. Now, now think about this for a moment. You're a doctor. Now, now, my mom is not a doctor, but you, Dr. Nicole, are a psychiatrist. So if your child, son, why did you not do this? Or daughter, why did you not do this? And they said, well, I... I stayed at home and I masturbated 15 times in a day. How many red alert bells are going to go off in your board certified psychiatric brain that something is wrong and that your child needs? Help? Oh, they're getting a full psychiatric evaluation right there on the spot. We're going to we're going to talk about everything. Right. But they lied. They did. Right. They lied. So they told you instead Oh, I fell asleep because we're not good liars when we're covering <laughs> up stuff like this, right? It's always a bad lie. That's true. I, I fell asleep. I got and and now you're angry. So now not only do they have this untreated symptom that everybody around them is now unaware of, but everybody's pissed off at them. True, true. You slept through Nana's birthday. How could you sleep through Nana's birthday? You know, I told you if you stayed out that late, you just I can still hear the lectures reverberate in my brain for commitments that I missed. Do you wish you had been honest? Like, do you wish looking back that you had said, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is why I wasn't there. I think that my mother would have reacted how any typical person would react to being told that a loved one stayed at home all day, masturbated. And I want to be fair to like all the parents out there. If my parents told me that they did. That. Let's reverse this. Mom, why didn't you come to my birthday party? Because I stayed at home all day masturbating. I'm not running to get her help either. I'm like, oh, oh, I, I, I can hear myself screaming. So I'm not getting her help either. So I think we might have ended up in the same place. But I have to ask how many white lies, how, how many misdirects does the average person with bipolar disorder tell, which gets them one further and further away from their support system problematic and they just get so used to it that when somebody actually like a dr nicole says hey what was going on last thursday you're just so used to lying that you now believe it right right so was your family aware of your bipolar diagnosis at this point nope they were not okay because nope. i was thinking well you know maybe that's part of the thing I wasn't aware of it either. I, I should probably point that out just so we're, okay. we're all playing with a stacked deck. None of us had any idea. See, let's address another thing with hypersexuality. I was raised Catholic. My parents love me. Everybody loves me. Sex is a shameful act. I don't like this about our society, but it, it was a part of my culture and my upbringing right. where sex was still this private thing. We discussed it you know, kind of like family guy discusses it like super dirty jokes were okay, but actual facts, not, not, not so much. Mm, okay. So this was before your diagnosis even. Yeah, this was, and I was a young adult. So uh, this is, this is early twenties. And I, I, I do want to point out Dr. Nicole that I, I had a couple of advantages here. One, I was married and two, I'm a man. So this becomes even more difficult if you're a 20 year old woman who is unmarried Looking back, I had it easy. <laughs> At what point did you realize like, oh, I think this is something's wrong? There was a couple of moments that really stood out to me. 
as very, very problematic. Uh, first and foremost, I, I started hiring sex workers. So sex workers came with, with a double whammy. One, it's illegal. I was now committing a crime. So let's move sex out of the picture for a moment and talk about the fact that I was engaging in illegal behavior. So this upped the ante, right? We, we have to be fair and discuss that. Two, it's expensive. It's not a it's not a cheap thing to do, especially when you're looking at hiring dozens of time in the average week. Uh, start adding those up, and it becomes very very expensive. Finally, I, I was exceptionally vulnerable, which means I was exceptionally desperate, and I was very easy to take advantage of, and I got taken advantage of a lot as well, which became very expensive. I, I was scammed multiple times. And uh, I was spending hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars on an illegal activity. And, you know, the doctor and me, the physical risk that you were putting yourself at the increased risk of disease, because, you know, I ask my patients after the episode's over and we can have a discussion about it. And not one of them tells me, oh, yes, I was very responsible and made sure I wore condoms and made sure he wore condoms. And yeah, we were very responsible during my mania. So there's always even the the risk of sexually transmitted diseases and things like that. There's the risk of pregnancy. Yes. Right. I mean, one, yes, sexually transmitted disease. Absolutely. But but pregnancy, I just I've just explained to you where my mind was and what I was going through. So clearly I'm nine months away from being a good parent. This is with a stranger. Yeah. What do you say to that person who's out there listening to you thinking I'm not honest about whatever it is, hypersexuality, spending lots of whatever it is. I'm not honest. Looking back, what kind of advice do you have for that person? The first advice that I have is if anybody's listening to this and wondering whether or not they're hypersexual, you probably are. I've really sort of learned that along the way. This is not kind of something that you stumble into accidentally. The the second thing that I want to say is this isn't lots of sex. Don't think to yourself, oh, I must be hypersexual because I want to have sex once a day and my partner only wants to have sex three times a week. That's not what hypersexuality is. This is, this is a compulsion. But I still go back to if you wonder, this is the part that we need to get checked out so often, Dr. Nicole, in, in people that I talk to with mental health issues, psychiatric problems, etc. They believe very strongly that they must know that something is wrong and what it is before they can see a doctor. We don't feel this way in physical health. (laughs) I feel like you're spying into my life because this is exactly how a lot of my uh, encounters go with people. They come to me telling me. But I, I do think some of that is because we like to call them behavioral disorders, right? So people think, well, it's a behavior. I should have control over it. And they don't really quite understand that there are some things you won't be able to control. I think you bring up a good point about hypersexuality as a problem is much different than I want to have sex once a day. My partner wants it three times a week, because even in that you can control that, right? Like you can say, okay, fine. You might be upset about it, but you can control it. I think what you're describing is something you can't control. Like it's an overwhelming urge and you just can't fight it. Hi there, I'm Faye McRae, Editor-in-Chief of Psych Central. 
whether you're looking for free resources, quizzes, or thought-provoking personal perspectives, Sex Central has what you need to join you on your mental health journey. Sex Central's talented team of award-winning writers, editors, and medical professionals are passionate about creating a safe, inclusive, and trustworthy environment where you feel seen and heard. Visit us now at sexcentral.com. That's sexcentral.com. And we're back with more on hypersexuality. Dr. Nicole, I want to get back to the part about our partners, especially, you know, long-term relationships, marriage, significant others. We have the symptom of hypersexuality and let's, let's remove the trust issue of stepping out. So no affair occurred, but your significant other is now chronically masturbating and hounding you for sex every day and getting agitated because, you know, agitation tends to follow when you can't meet this need. This causes huge strains in relationships. And and again, I want to be clear that nobody stepped out. It's just, I want to have sex. We just had sex. Fine. Then I'm going to go master what I'm not good enough. I just, my, my spouse is watching. My partner is watching all kinds of porn. There's just porn, 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 porn. He's an addict. And all of the sudden this, this very serious symptom of bipolar disorder has now been reduced to my partner is sinning or my partner is bad or my partner doesn't appreciate me or my partner doesn't love me anymore. Or or of course, what we often hear is my partner thinks I'm ugly. Mm -hmm. That's all a hundred percent accurate. But do you think the time to have the conversation or the time to even deal with it is while it's going on? therein lies the rub. Look, no, no. When I've been hypersexual, you were, you weren't going to have a conversation with me. Could you imagine if you could just reason with people who were suffering from the symptoms of mental illness? I mean, what kind of a nonsense, but just, just, Oh, he's got cancer. Just talk to him. Just talk to him and tell him to stop it. No, you can't reason with somebody who's actively hypersexual, but isn't that what people do? They try to reason with their loved one during a manic episode, which is they do like beating your head against the wall. It's exactly like beating your head against the wall for both sides. But you said, is that the time to deal with it? I mean, kind of. You, you can't just let your loved one suffer from a very obvious symptom and do nothing. I guess I don't mean deal with it. I mean, to have a rational conversation about it, right? Is it the time to talk through like, oh, you're doing that thing? You know, is it the time? If we've never talked about it before. Exactly. If there is not an open dialogue before, if nobody knows it before, if this is the first time you're noticing it, once again, this is where people like Dr. Nicole earn. Like, this is why we need them. This is this is where you earn all of my respect, because you're going to get this phone call. And and I know you've gotten this phone call. This sounds something like this. Um, I I think there might be something wrong with, with my partner. Okay, well, what's going on? Well, you know, he's masturbating a lot. Is that is that wrong? And then you, what do you say to that? Well, first of all, I have to figure out, is it wrong, right? Because so many people think sex is so bad and dirty that if anyone masturbates at all, then they're like, ah, oh, something's wrong with them. So I, I have to kind of tease through like, what's a lot? Like my definition of a lot and your definition of a lot might be way apart. So I have to figure out, is this just normal sexual behavior right and then 
once I find out it is a lot, then we have to go digging through what else is going on. I love everything that you said there, because there's so many people that believe if you masturbate once in your life, you're, you're some sort of evildoer. You're you're going to go blind. I, well, yeah, you're going to go blind. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go blind. <laughs> I don't want to shame sex to all of the people listening. You're like, well, look, I, I like to have lots of sex. I, I, I go to the club. I, I got my outfits. I, you know, I got 15 people in my phone. I got my sneaky links. I, I'm just, look, I'm, I'm not <laughs> judging links. you. Yeah. Sneaky links. Uh, you sneaky links. Okay. I'm not judging any of that. I just think that we don't have an understanding of when that crosses a line. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like I always tell patients when they ask me and what they describe as normal, like, do you, as long as you're not hurting yourself or anybody else and you have true control over it, I I can't tell you not to do that or that it's abnormal. But I think we have to figure out then how do you know? Like, how do you decide oh, this is abnormal. And then what do you do about it? Because treatments are different, right? And hypersexuality and bipolar disorder is going to be treated very differently than someone who has maybe a sex addiction who may also be hypersexual. So I think we really do have to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about to get to the bottom of it so that we can fix it. It really sounds like you're saying see a doctor. I mean, that is my general recommendation (laughs) uh, to see a doctor. But yeah, I mean, not just talking to, you know, your friend who also has bipolar disorder, who doesn't really get it either. Sometimes what I see in my patients is they will tell me once it all comes out, right? And usually when does it come out? When they're in the hospital. When they're in the psych hospital because they've been hypersexual and manic for two weeks and they were found masturbating like, you know, in a McDonald's bathroom or something because they just couldn't help it. Right. Like they just had to. So, you know, they're in front of me and I'm asking the story and they're like, well, I talked to my friend. Well, who's your friend? And you find out, well, I met him when I was in here last time and I talked to him sometimes. And that's great. Like community is fantastic. Having somebody to talk to who understands and who gets it is great but you gotta think maybe that person isn't equipped to really give me great advice so making sure you're talking to the right people is really what's gonna kind of flip the script for you i like how you phrase that dr nicole and i want to just take a, a moment to address that community is great talking these things out with people is great but your community is allowed to be wide I think so often people believe that this is an either or conversation. You're either talking to the medical community or you're talking to your friends. Both of those are wrong. You should be talking to everybody. Talking to your friends could give you words, ideas, concepts, better ways to explain what's going on and advocate for yourself in the doctor's office. The doctor training, he went to school for years and years and years. So now that person is saying, look, I, I feel that I have this in common with Bob or Jane. And, you know, she really explained it this way. And I, I do feel like this is what I have. And that allows you to better understand because now you're not dealing with somebody, you know, sort of like scattershotting around, not knowing what is valuable or what is not. Right. Listen, could you imagine... If we lived in a society where every contractor was only allowed to have one tool, like that's it. Yeah. Just are are you a general contractor? Yes. Well, what kind? Here's my hammer. Hammer. (laughs) Here's my hammer. That's all I can use. I can only use the hammer. This wouldn't work. So I have a question for you. Now that you're well-educated on this whole thing, right? Like, you know, you get it. 
how do you talk about it when you're not in a manic phase to help you out when you are in that phase and the hypersexuality comes? I'm a big fan of the mantra, stay ready so you don't have to get ready, right? So love that. if you know it's coming when your mania hits, how do you and your support system, how do you preemptively plan for it? Like, what do you do? The first thing is I'm very, very fortunate. It, it took four years from the time I was diagnosed to the time that I, I reached recovery, which I define as spending more of my time living my life than I do managing bipolar disorder. I have not had a manic episode since then. I've been mania-free for well over a decade. That said, we really do need to think about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. During the four years, right, it's just like, hey, you have bipolar disorder I didn't have any coping skills. I'm just now getting onto the medication. So I had a a very open conversation with the person that I was in a relationship with at the time. And I gave her a lot of access. I was like, look, you are in the best position to notice some of these things. And I, I signed all the HIPAA waivers so that she could talk to my therapist and my doctor and give that information. Another thing that I did is in in my mood journal, people are really quick to track things like sleep. When did you take your medication? Are, Are you feeling suicidal? Are you experiencing mania? But people are less likely to track their libido. Put bluntly, they're less likely to track whether or not they're horny. And if you have experienced hypersexuality in the past, or if you have experienced full blown mania, or this is just even a concern that you want to get ahead of, write it down, write down how you feel how you feel sexually, maybe whether or not you had sex or or masturbated, and keep track of that and notice any patterns. And I did that. And I did find out that I did have a higher than average sex drive. But I also found out that, you know, I was I was younger, you know, I was 28 years old. Having a higher than average sex drive, that's not a problem, right? But I didn't know. Nobody told me what normal was. Right. And that's That was really something. So once I figured out, for lack of a better phrasing, what my baseline was, then we could decide whether it was changing. And Dr. Nicole, I know this episode is about hypersexuality, but we also noticed, my doctor and I, my therapist and I, we also noticed that it dropped significantly right before very depressive episodes. Right. Not so much anymore because, you know, I got old, but, (laughs) you know, back in my 20s and early 30s, Uh if my libido would drop and then I'd have trouble sleeping, we could predict depression a a week ahead of time just by using this handy little chart that, listen, I kept on paper and now there's like apps, kids these days. (laughs) So easy. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I I did want to add, I I think. Part of your plan while we're talking about that plan when your mood is normal, if it's somebody who's, let's say they're early on in their illness, maybe they don't have a handle on the right medication, maybe they're more likely to have a manic episode because we still don't have this thing right, or maybe it's somebody who's just struggling with the idea of taking medication for something like this, and they're at risk of having hypersexual behavior because that's what their episodes have been like before. I usually have a discussion about the sexually transmitted illnesses, the STIs. We we talk about them. We talk about prevention. I have some folks who have elected to take some of the 
PrEP drugs, right? The pre-exposure prophylaxis HIV drugs, because they know that because their bipolar disorder isn't very well controlled, regardless of what the reason is, having that on board, we think makes the biggest sense for them. So if they can take something, so just be thinking about that. I have some people whose partners take it also. And and just to get regular testing, seeing your primary care physician after an episode, if you've engaged in some risky behavior, just to make sure we're, we're all working together. So you really should have a whole team of people working with you during this time. Dr. Nicole, it's always super important to have these discussions and have these discussions when you're not in crisis. If you're not willing to have these conversations with your doctor, if you're not willing to talk about hypersexuality with your doctor, if you're not willing to look into every nook and cranny of bipolar disorder symptoms, including the embarrassing ones like hypersexuality, you're doing yourself a great disservice. Listen, doctors, they don't care. (laughs) I, I hate to say it that way. You can talk about sex and masturbation with your doctor. That's what they're there for. And good doctors like Dr. Nicole bring it up. Dr. Nicole, do you encourage all doctors to ask their patients about their sex life and just really get in there? I do encourage them to ask because a lot of times if you don't ask, they will not tell you. You have to be the one to bring it up. Sometimes it is like opening Pandora's box. You know, it is very helpful um, for me to be able to figure out what's going on. And not just about hypersexual behavior, even sexual side effects from medication, things like that. If I don't ask, people will walk around with that. And I can tell you that is one of the top reasons that people stop their meds because it interferes with their sex life. So if we don't ask, we may be setting someone up for failure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, which you can get on Amazon or you can find it signed over on my website at GabeHoward.com. And my name is Dr. Nicole Washington, and you can find me at drnicolepsych.com, D-R-N-I-C-O-L-E, P-S-Y-C-H.com to see all the things I have my hand in at any given moment. Dr. Nicole and I are both public speakers who travel nationally. You can find out more information on our respective websites. And listen, wherever you downloaded this episode, please subscribe or follow. It is absolutely free. And do Dr. Nicole and I like a huge favor. Tell a friend, tell a colleague, tell a family member. You know that person from high school that you just haven't talked to in years? Tell them about the Inside Bipolar podcast. We'll see everybody next week on Inside Bipolar. You've been listening to Inside Bipolar from Healthline Media and PsychCentral.com. Have feedback for the show? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash IBP or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.